Well, we are in the throes of the Christmas season. And at our house, here's what that looks like. After Thanksgiving, day after, all the pumpkins go away and the Christmas tree comes out and we set up the lights and the ornaments. And it's, it's really a sweet time for my wife and I as we put the ornaments on the tree. A lot of them have these special meanings that she has to remind me of every year. Of, <laughs> like where we got that, that ornament. Uh, it's, it's just one of the, I think it's one of the most wonderful times of the year, but it, Christmas also has uh, some pressures with it. And you, you know this. We, we also played this little game kind of by accident. I told, I told uh, Alexa, play 60s Christmas music. And as it was playing, she said, now what artist is that? So we started this guessing game of what artist from the 60s it was. You know what? She killed me. Like she got way more than I did, but I got her back because I played an EP that she didn't have access to because I downloaded it and she didn't. I want you to have access to it too. This is our new CCV worship team EP. It's got four songs on it, two brand new originals. Go ahead and take a snap of that because you're gonna, you're gonna wanna have these songs. It's a beautiful production and we're gonna introduce to the whole church one of these songs this Christmas service so you will be in the know. So as we get into this Christmas season, I thought we'd just open with a little Christmas trivia. Did you know, did you know that Black Friday is not actually the busiest shopping day of the year? It's the second busiest. The busiest, when I will be doing my shopping, is two days before Christmas because God created Amazon Prime for a reason. I still think, I can't, I can't prove this, but I still think that maybe Black Friday is the busiest shopping day for women and the rest of a shop two days before Christmas. Did you know, some of you have a, a, a sweetheart, uh, kind of a new love of your life, and you're thinking, what should I get her for Christmas? I got an idea. If you really loved her, you would buy her all 12 gifts from the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. It will only set you back $45,000. And for some reason I can't figure out, the seven swans of swimming are the most expensive item. Go figure. Did you know what the favorite Christmas meal is in Japan. Like everyone wants to have this Christmas meal. It is not sushi. It's Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is that bizarre? In fact, they love KFC for Christmas so much in Tokyo, you have to pre-order it two months in advance, which is when some of you started playing Christmas music, not okay. Did you know what day of the year has the most binge drinking? It was, obviously it's New Year's Eve. That, that's not a hard one. Be, second behind that is 4th of July. But third, this surprised me, is the night before Thanksgiving. As you're preparing your food for the in-laws, Apparently, a little bottle or two or three helps with the in-law invasion the next day. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. As we move through this season, between Thanksgiving and the new year, there's going to be a lot of binge drinking. It's, it, it, it's the best time of the year, in my opinion, but it also has some challenges, and we all know that. And some of the challenges are financial, 
because we not only have all this in-law invasion, but we have a lot of gifts to buy for, for kids and for friends. We have more time off from work and yet less free time because of all the parties and obligations. It's a time when a lot of people's mental health are triggered because if you were abused, it is, if you're gonna be around that person any time of the year, it's more likely to be between Thanksgiving and Christmas. For, for many people, you're alone at one of those holidays and it just feels like you're, the, you're not the only one alone, but it feels like you're the only one alone. And it can be a difficult season for people. And so I thought we ought to talk about that. How can we make this the best time of the year, a time when you can be your best self? Not so that you can be your best self, so that you can help someone else be their best self during a difficult season. And that's what I want to talk about, but I'm not a counselor. <laughs> trust me. You do not want to trust me as your counselor. I'm not a life coach, so I can't do that. In fact, really the only marketable skill that I have is teaching the Bible. So if you don't mind, I just want to teach you something out of the Bible about what's going on and how to live your best life during a difficult season. We begin with this word, Thanksgiving. Now that's in the Bible, all over the place. Do you know that Christmas is not in the Bible? But here is a Christmassy word that is in the Bible, gifts. These two words are actually related to each other in the New Testament. The Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharistia. The Greek word for gifts is charisma. But notice the center of both of those words is this word charis. It's a hugely important word in the New Testament and it's translated as grace. And grace is the foundation of our thanksgiving, is the foundation of our gifts. Now, some of you are new to CCV or maybe you're here in town visiting friends because why not? It's freezing up north and here it's kind of paradise. So you come down for Thanksgiving and they drug you to church. Welcome to CCV. We're glad you're here. Or, or maybe you're watching online because you know that this is a tough season for you and you're just looking for some kind of spiritual guidance and help. I, I hope we can help. When we talk about grace around here, it's not just like a prayer you say before a meal, nor is it like a title for royalty in, new, in, in Great Britain. Although there is a new season of The Crown coming out December 1st, just saying. Grace is the centerpiece of all the Bible. It is the story from Genesis to Revelation where our good God created a good world for us to enjoy. And it was, it was paradise, perfection. And Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden, but then they sinned. And their sin, like yours, separated them from God. Have you felt that? Because of what you've done or said or the way you've lived your life, you just feel a distance between you and God. That's what sin does. And so what religion does is try to compensate by doing good things to outweigh the bad. And it never works. Because you can't pray enough or serve enough or do enough good deeds to pay for your sin. And God knew that. There's no path to him from the earth on up. There's only a path from heaven on down. And so God walked that path. He came to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived with us and died for us. 
And that prepares a way so that when he returns, we can go to heaven with him and live forever. And just like Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God, we will walk with God for eternity. That is grace. And the whole story is summed up in just a few verses in John chapter one. Beginning in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's Jesus who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the story of grace. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, and you have not received God's grace, we, we wanna give you a Christmas gift today. If you would like to talk to someone about your next steps of making Jesus Lord of your life on any of our campuses, just go to the guest services and a staff member or volunteer would love to walk you through your next steps for making Jesus Lord of your life. My suspicion is that a lot of us have already done that. But just because you have received God's grace doesn't mean you're living in God's grace. For example, you, some people have had an addiction that they, they conquered. They're, they're not drinking, they're not doing drugs anymore. They, they've conquered the addiction, but the addiction still has a pull on them. Maybe you've experienced that. Or, or some have been in a traumatic relationship, a toxic relationship, you got out of the relationship, but you're still triggered by uh, emails or tweets or texts. Just because you're out of it doesn't mean that a part of it doesn't still have a hold of you. Likewise, we can fully receive the grace of Jesus. We're saved, but we're not living the full experience of God's grace in our lives. And if we're to be our best selves during this best season, to help others find their best, it's gonna be when we live the grace of Jesus. So I wanna look at these three words again. You've got uh, thanksgiving, Eucharistia, grace, and gifts. Notice how thanksgiving flows out of grace. We become grateful people when we recognize the gift of God's grace that has already been given to us. You, you could say it this way, gratitude flows from grace. And what psychologists are really repeating what the Bible said all along, that if you are having a mental health struggle or a difficult time in life, one of the secret weapons that you can use is gratitude. The gratitude is, it way outweighs the, the effort you put into it, the benefit you get from it way outweighs the effort. I like what John Ortberg said about gratitude. Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us from the prison of self-preoccupation. Part of the problem for me, probably for you as well, is that when you get spun up over something, you, 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 you hit a challenge in your life, all of a sudden life becomes inward focused. And gratitude is a secret weapon of being front-facing people. Instead of focusing on you, you focus on others. So my wife and I, uh, we've started this little project, I call it a 3.30 gratitude project. We're gonna, we're gonna say three things a day to each other, out loud, three things a day for 30 days 
of what we're grateful for. During this Christmas season, again, it's a great season, but it has challenges. It's going to keep us outward focused during that season. And guys, I want to give you kind of like a a secret help here because you need it. One of the things I always give gratitude for every day is something that God has done for me that day or given to me that I access that day. But the other thing that I say to my wife is something I'm grateful for her that day. It will help, trust me. It's a simple exercise. Whether you put it on a whiteboard in your house or maybe a window with, a, with an erasable marker or maybe just a shared note on your iPhones, for the next 30 days, I just wanna challenge you to be grateful for three things a day for 30 days and see if that doesn't help you be outward facing during a wonderful but challenging season. There's a second thing, and if you look at these words again, and notice that we have uh, thanksgiving, grace, and gifts. But there's actually another word that is based upon this Greek word for grace. Find it all over the New Testament. It is the word forgiveness. Forgiveness is more challenging than thanksgiving. I mean, thanksgiving is easy, it's free, it costs you nothing, and has great benefits. Forgiveness will cost you something, but it will have greater benefits. And it's not really a choice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get to decide who you will forgive. It is mandated that you forgive. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How the Lord forgive you? Uh, Freely? Fully? Without you Without you doing anything, he gave you forgiveness. All you have to do is receive his grace. And that's how God calls you to forgive other people. And look, I I get it. For some of you, that's a big ask. I've not been through the level of trauma that some of you have been through. But we're not asking you to forgive. God's not asking you to forgive because it's good for the other person. He's asking you to forgive because it's good for you. And honestly, I would feel like a hypocrite standing here saying, well, you just need to forgive and, and, and forget. No, no. If I've not been through your trauma, I, I don't know that I can make that expectation. Jesus can, I can't. But Sarah Montana can as well. Sarah Montana, in 2009, went through a traumatic event. It was two days before Christmas, and a 17-year-old neighbor broke into their house. Now, they knew who this kid was. In fact, their their mom, whenever they were driving, they saw the kid, she would stop and wave at him. And her brother's going, Mom, what are you doing? He's a hooligan. And her mom said, I know, he has a tough life, and I just want him to know that somebody sees him. And, And that kindness rubbed off on her son, and he started befriending this young man. And the way that this hooligan repaid that kindness was to break into their house two days before Christmas to rob them in 2009. He didn't think anybody was home, but the son was asleep on the couch. And as this kid rummaged through their house, he finally woke the boy up and he said, hey, what are you doing? And this young man didn't want to get caught and he had a gun, so he shot the young man and killed him. Then he runs out of the house because he's just murdered someone. 
But later he realized, oh, I left my coat, so he went back to retrieve his coat. And by that time, Sarah's mom had found her son killed. And she's screaming, and the kid kept telling her, be quiet, shut up, but she couldn't. And so he shot her as well. He killed two, two people of Sarah's family that day. Sarah is a believer in Christ. And, and over the years, she, she worked through it and she said, I forgive him, I forgive him. But the problem is she kept holding on to him. I, I, I've heard her story in her TED talk and there was one phrase that just, it just took my breath away. Here's what she said about him. I realized that we were still connected that steel tether of trauma that he hooked into my side when he killed them was still there. And it was with a little horror that I realized he may have killed them, but I chose to keep us connected. The only way to get rid of this dude was to forgive him. And so Sarah went to the Bible to learn how to forgive this person that had killed her brother and her mother so that she could be released from the tether of trauma that held them together. And she looked up, and she taught me this, I didn't know this, the, the word forgive and forgiveness is used over 100 times in the New Testament. You know how many times it tells you how to forgive? Zero. It just says forgive. Forgive others as Christ forgave you. Okay, but how? Some of you are asking that question. How can I forgive someone that has hurt me? First of all, you need to realize, and Sarah will tell you this, forgiveness is not for their benefit, it's for yours. It's for you, you to be free. Do you want to be free from the trauma that they hooked into you? She wrestled through this and gave three steps that freed her from the person who traumatized her. Step number one, you have to name what was taken from you. She had forgiven him for murdering her mother and her brother. Here's the problem. He didn't murder her. You can't forgive someone for what they did to someone else. You can only forgive them for what they did to you. And so she had to do the hard work of identifying specifically what he had taken from her. He took from her her innocent trust in other people. She will probably never fully get that back. But what he took from her was affecting her marriage and her kids and her. What he took from her was every holiday. She will never get that back with her mother and with her best friend, her brother. Her kids will not be able to experience that. He took from her an innocence and a sense of security. She will never fully get that back and that was affecting her marriage and her kids. And once she named what he took from her, she realized, he can't give that to me. It doesn't matter how much he's punished. He was serving two consecutive life sentences. It doesn't matter how much he's punished. He will never be able to repay that. It doesn't matter how much he apologizes. He cannot recover those things for her. Only she can recover what was taken from her to the extent that it can be recovered. If you're hoping that the person who hurt you by an apology or by punishment or by vengeance will somehow repay what they took from you, you will never get that back. Only you can take partially, take, take it back partially for yourself. And only when you untether from the person that gave you the trauma. That led, that led her to step number two, release 
the right to revenge. You have the right. They wronged you. But just because you have the right doesn't make it right. And if you want to live your best life during this best season so that others can experience their best season, it will come when you release that right to revenge. And my suspicion is that if you weren't around that person last week, you may be at Christmas. How long are you going to let that tether connect you through a cord of anger and bitterness? And when, when she released the right to revenge, she went to step number three, reject the reduction of you to a victim. What do I mean by that? Sarah saw her life as a victim. I'm a mother who's a victim. I'm a, a wife who's a victim. She, she had allowed the situation to reduce her to a victim. And she said, I'm more than a victim. I'm more than what happened to me that one day, uh, in, two days before Christmas in 2009. I'm more than that. And, and to break free from that restrictive definition, she said, I am more than a victim. I will not be victimized anymore. And as soon as she released herself from that, then she saw the guy who traumatized her. He's in prison. She realized he's more than that one day of his life. He's more than that one act of his life. And she saw him as a full human being, not just the per perpetrator of her trauma. And that allowed her to release the tether and be free finally from him. That doesn't make all the pain go away. Forgiving does not mean you forget what happened to you. Forgiving does not mean that you become vulnerable again to the person who hurt you. It means you release them from any expectation that they can repay what they took from you. That's on you. And when it's on you, you can be free from them. If we look at these words again, all four of them, thanksgiving, grace, forgiveness, and gifts. There's one that I want to focus on as the third litmus test of whether you are living in the grace that you have received from God. It's this word, gifts. The word charisma, we talk about people who are their charismatic personality. It points out something important, that the gift of the New Testament is not what you put in a box with a ribbon. The gift is a person with an ability. And God has given all of us abilities that allow us to engage with other people's lives. Peter puts it this way. I love how he describes it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, I, I, I get it. I, I've had a number of conversations with people that because of mental illness or, or, or mental health issues, they're paralyzed, like in bed paralyzed. So what do you do if the trauma has paralyzed you? Maybe you're watching online from, from a bed and you just, I, I don't know that I can even get out of bed. How can I be grateful or how can I forgive or how can I serve others if I'm paralyzed? Well, if, if you're in bed, then send a text. Express some gratitude. From where you are, just express gratitude for one thing today. And maybe tomorrow then, that will liberate you to get out of bed. And you go into the kitchen, 
And if you can make it to the kitchen, you can make a phone call. You can encourage someone. And that one simple act may give you the strength to actually get out of the house. And if you get out of the house, maybe you could do one simple thing for one person who can't pay you back. It doesn't have to be much. Maybe you take the, the trash bins in for your neighbor. Maybe you pick up a friend's kids after school. Maybe you go ring a bell for the Salvation Army. It doesn't matter what you do so long as it's for someone who can't repay you. Here's why. That, when you serve somebody who can't repay you, it forces you to be outward focused, not inward focused. And that liberates you from spinning out in your own sadness, your own loneliness. This is the greatest season of the year. For, for most people, it, it is a great season. But, but it's also a season that has these struggles and trials with it. And if you are going to be your best during a difficult season, it's going to be living in God's grace by, by serving other people, outward focused, by forgiving to release the tether of trauma, and by showing gratitude by being outward focused. So I want to look at those four words one more time. And I want to focus on one of the words, the word thanksgiving. Did you notice in this word, eucharistia, the word eucharist? It's really a churchy word. And a lot of churches call the eucharist what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. It was instituted by Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Luke, at chapter 19, or chapter 22, verse 19, it says Jesus took the bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And that night before he was crucified, he instituted the Lord's Supper. On your way in, you may have picked up a, a cup like this, has a piece of bread and some juice. And I want to invite you, we're going to take this all together on all our campuses, you watching online as well. I want to do this together as an expression of gratitude to God. We're not going to wait till tomorrow to apply the sermon. We're going to apply it right now. We're going to begin to express gratitude first to God. That night he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. After the supper, he took the glass of wine and he, he lifted it up and said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. When Jesus was on the cross, pinned to a tree, do you remember the first thing he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This little meal is the inspiration for showing gratitude, and it is the inspiration for forgiving others. Let's drink this as a pledge and promise to Jesus, the blood of Christ.
I want to invite you to do two other things, both of which are going to express gratitude to God. We're going to read a passage of scripture together just to express our gratitude to God. And then on all our campuses, the bands are going to come back out and they're going to lead us in two songs that are prayers for you to express your gratitude to God. In honor of God's word, I want to invite you, even if you're watching online, to stand and let's read this passage together. I'll read what's in white and you respond by reading the darker font. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Holy Father, your love does endure forever. From the beginning of creation to the end of time, your grace has been the gift that we live in. We don't just want to receive it. We want to live it. Allowing your gift of grace to explode in gratitude from us. to go out in forgiveness to others and in service to others. Lord, help us to be a people this season that are our best, even in the challenges, so that others can have the best season of their life in finding Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. Let's sing together.